Okay, turn to Romans chapter 12. Okay, Romans 12. And uh, yeah, as you're going there, um, let me just do a little bit of recap, okay? Romans 12. We, uh, we found ourselves, this is week two of really what's like an eight-week mini-series on love, okay? And, and there could not be uh, maybe a more favorite thing for us to want to preach on than, than love, okay? So we had 11 chapters, Romans 1 through 11, of just kind of a lot of gospel, a lot of theology, very rich stuff of saying, okay, this is who God is, this is what the gospel is, and then we get 12 through 16, these last four or five chapters here to say, okay, in the midst of that, this is what this looks like lived out. So 12 through 16 become uh, very much the practical application of all of the theology and the rich depth that we get from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Um, We've built off of the start of 12, which tells us that all of life is a worship to God, that there's nothing that you do, as menial as you think it may be, that is not 100% underneath the sovereignty and grace of God of Jesus Christ. And so we have a saying here uh, saying all of life is all for Jesus, that everything you do, whether it be on the playground or the marketplace, whether it be here on Sunday, whether it be at a small group on Wednesday, whatever it may be, all of life is all for Jesus. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything, everything that you think. And so we build off of that as we get into these very practical applications of love for eight weeks. Today we're in week two. Okay, today we're in week two. So last week, uh, we, we, we looked at gifts, right? How do we use the gifts that we've been given by God to love and to bless the people around us and to glorify God? What does that really look like? Okay, today we get the second outworking of that. But here's what I want to do. In, the, in just verses 9 through 13 of chapter 12, okay? In just verses 9 through 13 of chapter 12, there are 13 different exhortations, imperatives given to us by Paul in the book of Romans. In five verses, we get 13 exhortations about what the Christian life should look like when lived out by the gospel, okay? And so here's what I think we can do, and, we've, and listen, if you've read through Romans before, you'll run through Romans 12, you'll get through 9 through, ter- 9 through 13, and you will read these five verses in 30 seconds and then be done with it, Okay? we can easily push through this just like quick bullets and not really ask the question of what is God, what is Jesus trying to teach me and reform in me to make me more like him? And so Paul addresses this topic, I think, in Romans 15, just to skip ahead a little bit. In verses 15 and 16, he says this, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I love this. He gets to the, kind of towards the end of the book of Romans and says, okay, you know all those things that I was just kind of coming at you, very bold, very straightforward. This is what your life should look like. I understand that you've probably heard them before, but I tell them to you as way of reminder because I know you'll forget. So, so, so listen, nothing you'll hear today, okay, nothing you'll hear over the next six weeks as we get through the implications of gospel-centered love is going to probably be new to you unless you've been saved in the last month, okay? A lot of this is just stuff, okay, this is what the Christian life looks like, and you've heard it before. The question is, have you lived it before? Have you really begun to allow the calling of what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus in response to God, have you allowed those things to actually shape and transform your actions? Or 
Is it just kind of this thing you've kept to yourself internally and it's all good that way? So you show up here for an hour and a half and you allow your faith to be truncated into these little blocked off moments that we deem spiritual. Okay? And not have it transcend all of life. A deep, rich, fulfilling relationship with Jesus that impacts everything you do. Okay? So that's the question for us today. Where, where are we at in, in the midst of this? I think as a culture we tend to Early on, when we first hear something or first get into something, we're very careful with it. We like to spend time with it. Get to, so, for example, the first time you have an iPhone, right? You get a new iPhone or iPad. I mean, how clean do you keep that thing? Right? You're, you're very just cautious with it. If it falls, your heart leaps from your, you know, from your chest. Um, and then after the second or third time dropping it, you just kick that sucker at that point, right? You're just because it's already cracked a thousand different ways. And so you're like, I don't care as much anymore. Here's what I think for a lot of us, and I don't know all of your stories, so I don't know how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been reading the Bible, any of this stuff. But I fear that for a while, man, we were super into Jesus. I, I feel like we first heard these commands, and it was, it was kind of life-transforming. It was revolutionary. Oh, there's a, there's a gospel ethic of love that looks like this? I have to change some things in my life. And, and then we just kind of keep going, and we get little cracks in our righteousness, little cracks in our relationship with God, and then we just say, well, it's not that big a deal. What I think Paul does for us is it gives us the opportunity for a solid self-triage, right, over this eight-week series to say, man, what am I doing? Does it actually reflect this gospel-centered love? Okay, that's my hope for us. That's, I hope that we get done, we're on the tail end of this, and then, and then this is just transformation. We look different. Our lives look different. Our hearts look different. Our actions look different. Okay, that's, that's the goal for us. So, um, What's really neat for me as I look through this is, is Jesus didn't just give this as a suggestion, right? That the way that we're supposed to love the world is not just something Jesus thought would be a good idea to win people to the faith. Rather, it is a gospel-centered mandate for the church that we can't treat as anything else. This isn't Jesus' opinion. This is the truth of God about the way your life should look like, the way my life should look like. In John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so again, we get this, this moment from Jesus where he's like, Listen, I'm, I'm telling you something new here. You need to love one another as, as I've loved you, as I've shown love. And we see that in the fulfillment and the cross and the resurrection. So, so for the Jews that would hear this, even in John 13, for the Jews that would hear this, they would say, okay, well, wait. The Old Testament, God, God already laid out for us that we're supposed to love our neighbor. That, that was not the new piece to this new covenant, this new commandment that Jesus is setting forth. It's always been God's plan that the people of God would bless others, okay? Would love others, would care for others. The next step that Jesus adds on here is that we would love people as Christ loved us. And so all of a sudden what comes into the picture is a little bit of self-sacrifice. Okay. And I say this at the beginning of this because the truth is, is over the next seven weeks we get into some very practical, this is how you love people, you're going to push back because it's going to cost you something. It's not always going to be easy to love people this way. But we love, we care, we serve, we bless the way Christ has loved, cared, served, and blessed us by self-sacrificial love. 
And so it has to be part of our conversation. It might hurt a bit, but listen, as you get through it, this is what we are mandated, called as the church to do and to live in. And so as we say that, let's, uh, let's move into the text, okay? So the, text, the second outworking of this, uh, we see after gifts last week, this week is kind of that classic battle between good and evil, right? And, and we always see this in media, we see this in movies, we see this in entertainment, this classic battle between good and evil. And we love these type of stories, right? This is, this is Batman and Joker, this is Luke versus the Emperor, this is uh, Flagstaff versus Yuma. I mean, it's just on, and this is the breakdown, okay? Good versus evil, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay. We're going to do this in three parts. Okay, kind of a 9A, 9B, 9C thing. So this, this idea, let love be genuine. Now, I don't know about you guys, but even as I was prepping this this week, I thought through, man, the implications of this word genuine. What does that actually mean? What, is, what does it mean to be genuine? Okay, so I looked up some definitions. Webster says that it's truly what something is said to be or authentic. Okay, so we want our love to be genuine. We want our love to be authentic. We want it to be that which it says it should look like. I don't often do this, but I went to the Greek here, and I want to share it with you, and the word there is anupakritos, okay? Anupakritos, which means without hypocrisy, Okay? without hypocrisy, which I think helps clear it up a little bit for us. Let our love be without hypocrisy. Man. Now, that, that in the moment was just very convicting. I mean, there is not a thing that's brought against, a charge brought against the church more often than the fact that we are hypocrites. Okay? And, and, and that's, that's just an indictment on us that we say and, and on and on. And this is the way it breaks down for us. So I thought to myself... I need to do- define some terms, even for myself, as I sift through what does this actually mean. So what is hypocrisy? And I, I came up with really two, two main failures or critiques of us in this area of hypocrisy. The first being um, when we make our outward, okay, make our inward look better than it is, right? This is pretty popular. Okay, so where our outward expression, what we do in our action, what we do physically, makes what's going on in here, in the heart, look far better than what's actually going on in here. Um, I was trying to think through some of these instances, and, and even for some of you, I imagine you probably have moments that are popping into your head right now. Just little moments that, okay, yeah, I did that. This was more about me. This wasn't about, and, and I thought through this, uh, like, literally, I think there's like 15 different illustrations that popped into my mind, which was concerning, but I think is exactly why Paul writes us. But I thought back to college, and this was shortly after I had become a Christian. I got saved at 18 at San Diego State. I'm learning a ton of stuff. And I remember I wanted to kind of play catch-up, right? I mean, I didn't know Christ for 18 years, and so I wanted to kind of catch up with people in their faith. I saw all these people that knew all this stuff, and they did all this stuff, and they were more generous than I was. They loved people better. And so I wanted to be like that. And so I was at my church, the Rock Church in San Diego, very big church. We're moving into a new building, and they're doing a building fund, right? Thermometer and everything. It was all there for us to raise funds to build this building to just see God more glorified in the city of San Diego. Now, what they did is they had us all pile into what was then Cox Arena, which is now Viejas Arena, where the San Diego State Aztecs play basketball. And uh, they had us go there for kind of a, a one, one service. Everyone packed into the stadium. You're talking probably seven, 8,000 people at that time, all sitting in this stadium. And what they did is they set these giant pallets of bricks all around the room. 
and these bricks were going to be used in the new building that they were building in Point Loma, okay? So what you could do is you could come up, and for every brick that you took, it symbolized a pledge of $10 a month for the next three years, okay? So that was the breakdown, $10 a month, month for the next three years, and so they had this moment, and Miles is going after her, and everyone's just like ready, and he says, all right, come on down if you're going to pledge. And so, of course, I go down to pledge, because of course, I want everyone to see that I'm a generous, giving person, right? I get down to the bricks, and I'm thinking in my mind, man, I could probably afford $5 a, a, a month for the net. You know what? This was, it was weekly. It was weekly, $10 a week. That's what it was. That's why the numbers weren't end up. $10 a week. And I remember, man, maybe I could do $5 a week, $20 a month. That seems a little more realistic in my heart. And I knew maybe that's something I could be consistent and faithful with. So instead, what did I do? I, I, grabbed, I grabbed nine bricks. <laughs> yeah. So I'm walking around like this. And there's little people that don't love Jesus walking around with a single brick. And in my heart, I have nine bricks. And I know all of you are thinking, man, you are a sinner. Yeah right? And so I'm walking around with these bricks. I dropped two of them. It's awkward. I had another guy pick one up for me, put it on there, that type of thing. And I put those all on, on, the, uh, on the altar, signed my name and initials on each one. And those nine bricks sit in the building right now. And I will tell you in confession, I maybe gave 10% of what I said I pledged. That's just a real story. Everything that happened in that moment was 100% about allowing people to make, to think more of me than they should have, or what was really happening in my heart. And I remember looking back in that moment with deep shame. I mean, I get Jesus forgave me, but I just remember thinking, like, what, what the heck was I thinking? Now, I, I don't know if, if you guys all have that stupid of a story that you would do something that dumb just to prove yourself to a bunch of people, but I'm sure there's something. I'm sure there was a time where you just wanted people to think you were more in line with Jesus than you were. It happens a lot here on Sundays. The way we talk, the way we answer questions, hey, how, how's it going with the Lord? Oh, it's great. Is it? Don't, don't be deceived. There's no need here. And so we, we, we get called out here by Paul to not let that type of hypocrisy affect our love and our presentation of love to the world. So that's the first one. The second one, I think, is when we make, um, when our inward does feel a certain way, but our outward doesn't reflect it, okay? So listen, there's a lot of us in here. We love Jesus, okay? But man, don't even begin to tell me to start telling other people about Jesus. Don't even tell me that I'm supposed to be generous with my money. Don't tell me that I'm supposed to live a life that loves my neighbor just as much as myself, and so internally, right, we, we, we love God, we think he's great, we, we're, we're, we're saved, but man, the outward expression of this salvation doesn't look much different than what it was before you became a Christian. That's also hypocrisy. When we make the outward, make the inward look better, and when our inward is one way, but the outward doesn't even back up a true relationship with Jesus. Okay? And so Paul's saying, listen, if, if that's the way we're operating, the world will not know. They won't get it because our love will not be genuine. Our love will be fake and they'll see right through it. And honestly, that's what we see across our country today is constantly through the church, they're seeing all of this and saying, okay, man, that, 
then that just, that just points to Jesus and maybe it's not that great. Okay. That, this was heavy for me this week because it's the big things like a stupid nine brick story and it's the little things about how in the moment I want even the people closest to me to think that I'm more spiritual than I am. When we're all kind of struggling along this, this journey to make Christ more glorified and make us more like his son, okay? So um, the question then became, well, why do we do it? What is, what is that, Ben? And in really a couple things, I just think we want people to think that we're great, okay? Because our culture has told us that that's what you're supposed to do. People are supposed to always think highly of you. And if they don't, then that's, you need to fix it, okay? And, and, and the other one, I, I think we don't want people to think we're that bad. So we want people to think that we're better than we are, and we don't want people to think that we're worse than we are. And so we hide and we do things in order that, uh, that this will work out for us. I, I watched a movie this week. How many people have seen the movie About Time? Cool, just the people that I recommended it to. Fantastic. Um, so this movie, and I won't give it away because you should go watch it. It's a, really, it's a really good film. But in this movie, this guy, when he turns 21, he's part of this family, right? When he, every male in this family, when they turn 21, they gain the ability to time travel, okay? Which sounds fantastic, right? For us, most of us, it's like, oh, cool, I can, I can order a beer. But this guy gets to travel through time. Okay? And so he finds this out. All he must do is go to a dark place, clench his hands, and think of a moment in his past that he wants to go back to, and he'll end up there. Okay? So um, he gets in this moment, and he's walking through life, and there comes this moment where his ex-love, this woman that he was infatuated with, who had rejected him previously, comes back into the picture while he's already dating someone he's in love with now. So he's got the old flame and the new flame, and he goes out to dinner with this old flame because they saw each other while they were out. They go out there, and then she invites him up. Okay, she, she invites him up to the room, walks him over there, that type of thing, says it's, it's nicer inside, kind of wooing, kind of Delilah, you little shady wench, you know, and you're just like, um, what's going on here? And, 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 and he, has this, he has this decision to make. Okay, he, he has this decision to make in that moment of, is he going to go in and, and sleep with this woman whom he's always wanted to, or, or is he going to remain faithful to his current love? Okay. And, and here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you what his decision was so that you guys will go watch. It's suspenseful. But okay, um, what I thought to myself is, man, this, this decision becomes even more difficult in my mind because he knows he could do it, travel back in time as if it never happened. Right? That he could, he could do something wrong he could do this sin, okay, and then be on the other side, go find a closet, clench his fist, go back in time, and it was washed away, not there, gone. His, few, his current love would never know. He would know, but his current love would have no idea. And I began to think to myself just this one question. If I had that power, right, if any of us in this church had that power, I want you to ask yourself this right now. If you were able to go back in time at any point in your life, and you knew that this power existed for you, how much more often would you sin? How many times would you choose to go a certain direction because you knew you could go back in time and change it, and it would be washed away, and no one would ever know? And, and here's the thing. If I was honest with myself, which I always try and be in these moments, is I, I, I realize, man, I might a little more. I don't know if it's going to be these awful things. I'm not going to go rob a bank or something like that. But there are things. There are ways you get into arguments. 
right? Instead of forgiving the way you should, you're like, I can just say whatever I want, get it off my chest, and then go back in time, never have said the things, and the person would never be hurt. Whatever those instances are, and like for you to think of them, would you, would you sin more? And I asked a few people this question this week, and I feel like most people said yes. That they think if this was, if this was a power that they had, yeah, because no one will get hurt. And, and it really just became obvious to me that our issue is that we, we fear man and not God. And so we're terrified of what other people in this room would think about our relationship with God, about the type of people we are, about our character. But we put God second to that. God's still going to see this, guys. Hey, even in the time travel thing, right, God being outside of time is like, nice try. God sees it all. And so my question for my own heart and for us today as we look through how do we love genuinely without hypocrisy is do you care more about what the person next to you thinks of you than God? And if so, man, our priorities are just messed up and we will never get to where Paul wants us to get, where Christ wants us to get, that the world would know what the gospel is. Okay. And so this has to, this has to be part of our conversation. Okay. Um, and so here we go. 9B and 9C, we'll, we'll crank through pretty quick here. But um, really the question is, how do we get there then? Okay, if this is the type of love that we're supposed to operate in, this is the type of love that's mandated by Christ to the church, how do we get there? What does this look like for us? Okay, and, and we get in 9B and 9C. So again, abhor what is evil. Pretty simple command, pretty straightforward. Abhor, hate, have disgust with evil. Things that are evil, sin-filled, broken, fractured, the things of this world that we can clearly tell are not the way they're supposed to be. We are supposed to abhor, to hate. And so I, I just asked myself one question as this verse came up, and I ask us the same thing is, um, do you hate evil? <laughs> I mean, just real simple. Do you guys hate the evil in this world? Do you? And as I asked myself, again, I landed on, well, sort of. I think by word and by definition, I would say, yeah, like, of course, I'm against evil. But then you start to nuance some of this stuff. And then you begin to realize maybe you don't hate it as much as you think you do. And so do you hate evil? Do you hate brokenness? Do you hate sin? And, and, and I thought of a few reasons about maybe why we don't. Um, one, for whatever reason, culturally, it's kind of, it just feels weird or bad to hate anything, right? The, the, the culture has become, you need to love and tolerance and all that stuff, and I am pro-love, I'm pro, listen, but you're called to hate the things that God hates, and that's okay. There's righteous hate in sin, hating sin, hating brokenness, hate the consequences of sin. Fortunately, what we do with it is um, we tend to then, like, hate people, right? So forget about the sin, forget about the brokenness of this world. We, we tend to just focus on a person and say, like, okay, I hate that person. That's, that's not what we're talking about. No, no, Hate evil. Not, not this creation. Not, not, not people made in the image of God. Hate evil. Hate sin. Hate the brokenness that drives people there. And the terrible decisions that we make. Hate all of it. The second reason I think that we, we've bought into a false worldview that ranks sin, okay? 
And, and here's the thing, this is, not, this is not a church thing, this is, just, this is something that the entire world does, right? Everywhere you go across the world, everyone ranks sin. Maybe they don't call it sin, but they rank injustice, right? Every justice system, right, there's a certain penalty for a certain crime, and on and on and on and on, depending on what it is. Every culture will rank sin. We're not supposed to, okay? But we've bought into a worldview that ranks sin, okay? And so this week, right, I, I, I read some stories, and there is some crazy stuff happening in the Middle East. I'm sure a lot of you guys read a lot of this stuff. Persecution, and I mean, we're talking just, I don't even want to talk about but just deep, deep persecution happening in the Middle East right now. Terrible stuff, okay? And I read that, and then I read some stories about some women that were raped, Right? And I read some stories about murder. I read some stories about people who've lost things that doesn't make sense why they've lost it, on and on. You just read the news, and you're just like, gosh, this is, that is evil. And I'll tell you what, man, I hate that stuff easy. Right? I read that story, and I'm infuriated. I'm, I hate that. And here's what happened. I think because we've allowed ourselves to rank this stuff, to say, okay, because I hate all of this, because I hate all this injustice in the world, I don't have to actually hate lying. I don't have to hate lust. I don't have to hate the fact that I'm supposed to forgive, and yet I hold grudges. I don't hate the fact that I'm supposed to speak to my wife in a certain way, but I speak in a different way. Because, I, I listen, I'm so just because I hate these big things. But we forget about a God who cares about every aspect of life, and there is nothing inconsequential to him. And there is no sin that he looks past. And so I think we've fallen into this worldview where we've divorced ourselves from realizing and being convicted by these little things. Listen, the church today is not being attacked on that we don't do enough foreign aid. The church today is not being attacked that we don't love through organizational help in Haiti or in all the tsunami. That's not what we get attacked about. What we get attacked about is the fact that they know you and you lied to them. They know you, and you're, you're going to the same places they're going to. You're sleeping with the same people they're sleeping with. On and on and on and on. You treat your wife just as poorly as they do. You treat your husband just as poorly as they do. On and on and on. These are the things that we get hit on. And rightfully so. There is a way that we love, and we're ruining it. Because we think that we're good because we hate these bigger things. We gotta, we gotta hate it all. Because all of it pulls us from Jesus. And because Jesus was perfect. Hear me. Jesus, that's, that's the depth. You have to, the depth of Christ's perfection. It, the big things and the little things. Everything he did right. And that's our example. Okay. Uh, the last reason I think ultimately is that you know what, man, we, we like evil from time to time. And we see that through the decisions that we make. Yeah, we, we like evil sometimes. There's just certain things, right, that we just cling to and hold to. And, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of examples, but they're just there. Sometimes it's just, no, you know what, I like that. I want to sit in that. I want to marinate in that. I want to look at this. I want to, and so we, 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 we like it. We miss the destructive patterns of what it's doing when all along this should disgust us as Christians. And if it doesn't, we have to start asking the questions of why not. 
you got to start asking the question. If, if you're here and you're like, ah, not that big a deal. No, no, no. It, it, sin should leave a really rotten taste in our mouth. Right? It, it's just like, has anyone ever, you ever get food poisoning? Okay, so you, you get really sick, you get food poisoning, and usually the food that you ate that got you sick, you don't want to eat for a while. Okay? Like, I was in South America, I got worms, okay, uh, from eating, I mean, this was, like, the cow was still mooing as I ate him. I mean, it was this, that raw, and, uh, and, I, and I got worms, and it was the worst two weeks of my life. I mean, it was just absolutely awful, okay? Um, I didn't eat meat for, like, two months, which I know for some of you are like, that's, it. that's significant, okay? <laughs> that is significant, I mean, it just, and it was gross. And thinking about it grossed me out. There wasn't any salad. It was, I mean, I thought of that, and automatically I was nauseous, right? The stomach starts churning. That's the way we're supposed to view evil and sin. That just the thought that the brokenness and the pain and the hurt of this world, both on the smallest levels and on the highest level, on the biggest levels, um, they should move us to, to just kind of not feel right, unsettled, nauseous by the way that they break this world and break the love that God wishes, wishes it to know about, okay? So then, 9C, so we hate evil, but we love and cling to and hold fast to good, okay? We hold fast to good, and uh, there are a ton of things that we could say, okay, this is a good thing you should cling to, and this is a good thing you should cling to, and on and on and on, um, but one, for time's sake, and two, because we're getting ready to outline those things in the next six weeks, I, I just want to focus on one. Hold fast to that which is good. And so I'm just, hold fast to Jesus. Okay, like we'll, we'll get to the other stuff. We'll get to holding fast to celebration, holding fast to community, holding fast to all these different things about the way we treat each other. Man, but hold fast to Jesus. If we want our love to be genuine, to be without hypocrisy, hate evil and cling to run to, worship, meditate, spend time with, engage, talk about, talk with Jesus. Spend time with him in the morning, in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, at night, wake up at three, spend time, cling to, hold to Jesus. He is the ultimate good thing that we can we can cling to to actually live this thing out, okay? You see, in Christ, here's what we see. In Christ, we finally see the perfect example of the one who could perfectly hate sin and perfectly love the world, right? I mean, he, he, he just zeroed in on it, man. He called people out left and right, bam, bam, bam. This sin, evil, hate it, right? But I love you. And he shows it through genuine self-sacrificial love that sends the Savior of the world to the cross. Okay. That's the type of love we're supposed to exhibit. And so we cannot, you cannot exhibit it without him. It's not possible. The language that's used in the Bible is abide in Christ. Abide in him. Be with him. John 15, just to read a few more verses as we wrap up. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay. Cling to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. How? Obedience. Do what, do what he says to do. This is, this, let me be very careful. This doesn't mean, right, abide in his love so that he loves you more. It doesn't mean, man, f- to be obedient, fulfill these commandments so that you're still saved. It's, you know, man, go to Jesus. He's in your heart. Holy Spirit's there. You're transformed. You're saved. You're a Christian. But if we want to continuously love this world and love each other the way that we're supposed to, the way that we're being called to by Paul here, that our love would be genuine for looking to do that to be a witness to each other and to the world, if that's our goal, we got to abide in Jesus. We have to be obedient to what he said. We have to spend time with him. And so there are a ton of practical implications to this. Ton of practical. Okay, one, do you hate evil? Ask yourself that question. And just, just sift through your life. What are you okay with that maybe the Bible's not all that okay with? Okay, and, and then secondly, What's your, what's your time with Jesus look like? I mean, honestly. What, what's your relationship with the Savior of the world look like? Are you spending time with him? Are you obeying the things that he said? And, and, okay, and if you're not, listen, don't be shocked that the love you seek to live out is full of hypocrisy. The issue is with the way we handle these things. You don't just become a hypocrite. You do so, I do so, because I don't hate evil all that much, even though I should. And I don't spend enough time with Jesus. I don't actually cling to the things that he's told me to cling to. And, and so as we continue through the next six weeks, as we seek to be that community that, that loves in a way that the world takes notice, okay? that loves each other in a way that people are set free from the pain and the hurt of their past, Right? To love in such a way that even when trials and hardships come our way, we know that the God of the universe is good and faithful and sovereign. I mean, all of, all of that stuff mixed in. Okay. If we're to get there, this has got to start with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Okay. And then we'll, and we'll go from there. Let's pray. Lord, I just, uh, I thank you for this week and just the many convictions brought upon by your Holy Spirit upon my own heart and my own life. God, would you give us, would you block from us um, fear and pride and God, all the things that would hinder our ability to see clear our own brokenness. Lord, we pray that you would remove just the scales from our eyes. God, give us eyes that are wide open. God, that as we look into our souls and into our hearts, God, that we begin to see just the holes in our own understanding of the gospel, in our own understanding of the Bible, in our own understanding of Jesus. God, give us eyes to see the evils in this world that we, just, we seem to run to and cling to. God, give us 
even just a greater faith and affection for yourself? God, would you give us obedient hearts? Would you give us obedient minds? Would you surround us in community and other good things that we'll talk about, Lord, that will usher us more towards you and farther from evil? God, thank you for love, love embodied in Jesus that fully hated sin, but also fully loved his creation, that he would come, and as an answer of how to do both well, he chose sacrifice. Thank you that he lived the life that we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that in him we find new life through his resurrection. Lord, may these truths just echo and resound in our hearts and minds this week as we seek to love better, as we seek to love more genuinely, and we seek to reflect the gospel, a good news for a world that desperately needs some good news. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you empower us and shape us and change us. Be glorified now as we respond. In your name we pray. Amen.